Hey everybody, this is episode 39 of Artist Soapbox. Hello and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. In this episode, we have the musician Louis Landry and his music. At the end of our interview conversation, you'll hear two of Lewis's original songs, one from his album JJ vs. the Digital Whale, and another from an album that has not yet been released. It was really cool to have him sing and play guitar in my little home studio. Make sure to listen to the end. Lewis Landry is a musician based in Durham and Hillsboro, North Carolina. He holds a bachelor's in music performance from VCU in Richmond, Virginia. He spent eight years touring and recording professionally in Austin, Texas, before moving to North Carolina with his wife in 2011. He has independently released four albums of original music, including the recent J.J. vs. The Digital Whale. He teaches at High Strung School of Music and has a residency at Mystery Brewing Company in Hillsboro, which often features his group, the LL Orchestra. You'll hear us talk about the value of playing classical albums for an audience. Talking Heads fans will be especially interested. The residency at Mystery Brewing. How the definition of a band is changing and having a code of conduct for artists working together. In our conversation, he mentioned setting up an online mechanism for anonymous feedback. This is now possible at lewislandrymusic.com slash communicate. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. Enjoy the episode, and especially the music at the end. Here we go. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank you for so much for being here. You're welcome, and thanks for inviting me. I have been really excited about this and uh, glad to be here. I think you're doing something really cool with giving, you're really giving artists, you know, like um, a gift, I think, to just be able to speak on whatever the individual person is passionate about. So, Thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate it. Let's talk about one of your projects that unfortunately is going to happen it will have happened. Um, it will have happened by the time people hear this, but it's so interesting, and our conversation about it brought up a lot of interesting points, so I wanted yeah. to spend some time talking about it. It's a, a show in June at Motorco and Mystery Brewing in Hillsboro, a cover of a Talking Heads album. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to do that? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. So many reasons. I hardly even know where to start. (laughs) Well, first, let me start by saying that I um, had a really great opportunity a couple days ago to see David Byrne perform here uh, in Durham, thanks to Anastasia Maddox, who I really want to thank for giving me that um, extra ticket that she ended up with. So that's kind of the starting point is David Byrne is an amazing artist, had this band called The Talking Heads that I think I probably became aware of when I was about two or three years old. (laughs) Um, You have a long history. I mean, yeah, I was born in 1979. And, uh, you know, they had, I think, put out two albums at that time. I'm stumped as far as what was the first Talking Heads song I ever heard. I'm I'm always trying to figure that out. But I think it might have been like Once in a Lifetime. Uh, Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. That, I cannot remember ever not knowing 
that song or seeing that weird video on MTV of him dancing with like multiple versions of himself. So it's just like baked into my consciousness that this is cool music. This is music that everybody likes. This is music that everybody knows and knows how to dance to. Even if it's just like wiggling around spastically, like anybody can hear burning down the house or any of those other ones and just be like, Oh yeah, I get this so quickly. So that's, I mean, that's the original reason. A more recent reason <laughs> would be uh, doing this uh, residency at Mystery Brewing Company in Hillsborough, which is an amazing venue. They've been there for a couple of years and they're really supporting musicians and giving people a, a great venue to play at. They have invited uh, myself and a few other folks to do residencies, which is for a musician and an artist invaluable because it gives us a chance to have a date on the calendar and myself and William Dawson and Curtis Eller and a few other folks have been able to take advantage of that to do really unique shows that are put together for the people of Hillsborough and Durham, basically. So it's um, tapping into that talking heads, crazy root passion that like so many of us have that are our age and putting a local spin on it. So um, the uh, artists that we have performing in this show are a lot of uh, theater artists, uh, a lot of musicians, Jay Bird Oberski, Dana Marks, Jessica Fleming, Luis Rodriguez, Anastasia Maddox, uh, my wife, Shay Broussard, also known as Shady Darling, uh, Curtis Eller, and a lot of, lot of other folks. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned about half of them. But mm -hmm. the Mystery Brewing Residency has just really turned into um, a place where we can create shows that we are passionate about and love. Uh, and the audience is receptive and, and the venue uh, takes care of us as far as, uh, you know, payment and stuff like that. So, so how, how did this residency come about? Is this something that you approached them about or they approached you? It, it came about really through, uh, William Dawson, who is, um, a, a, a well-known musician in the area. He was with the, the squirrel nut zippers at the end of their run. And he did the music for hunchback with little green pig, uh, one or two seasons ago. Lots of other stuff. He's got a band called uh, the Wiley Fosters. And he basically walked in there about five or six years ago and uh, talked to the previous owner and just said, basically, hey, I'm a professional musician. I live about eight miles from here and I want to play here. And the owner was like, great, come on. And I think his first one was just a duo with like a violin player. And it went well, and he got invited back, he got invited back, and after a while, they were just like, you know what, why don't you come back every month? Once a month, do whatever you want, bring whatever band you want, do whatever show you want, and we'll pay you. Mm -hmm. And there will be an audience that will enjoy it. And that was true. And they fought, and they had like <laughs> the follow-up. Mm -hmm. So William has now done, I think, 48 months consecutively. <laughs> And uh, he, he got to the point where he had to take a little bit of a break. But um, myself and Curtis and uh, a few of these other folks have uh, just kind of run with it and seen it as an opportunity to do different stuff, 
play music that we uh, maybe are working up with new groups, new band members. Um, and then we're also just kind of putting together new bands, like just for a night, just uh, like this group that's performing the Talking Heads stuff is, it's not really a band that, that uh, you know, everybody in the band is always in the band. It's like, we all love this music and we all uh, were available for that night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we've done it. Uh, this will be the third year that we've done it. And so it uh, kind of seemed natural to sort of grow um, beyond just doing it at Mystery. Um, since we've had such, you know, great support there and everything, it made it easy to kind of say, okay, well, let's do something like that, but try to get it into Durham. And it seems like uh, Motorco was pretty receptive to it as well. And of course, with David Byrne just playing here in Durham, you know, I feel like um, people have been reminded uh, that that's just great music. And They're primed. They're yeah. ready. <laughs> so I hope people that went to that David Byrne show are going to realize that they can go to Motorco and like be in a much more intimate venue. And of course, it's not as famous of people that are going to be there, but it's the same music and you'll be able to like get all sweaty and dance like right down there in front of the Motorco stage. That's going to be awesome. So this is not the first show you've done that's been a, a cover of other bands, right? Uh, no, I've, I've done a few of them. Uh, when, when they invited, when the folks at Mystery, uh, and uh, Eric is now the owner, invited me for a residency, I uh, decided that I wanted to do um, concerts that were classic albums performed in full. Uh, I've just been seeing a lot of bands do that lately. I uh, can't think of what the most recent example I saw was, but oh, uh, Def Leppard <laughs> is out there doing Hysteria, their classic album. You know, it's great. I I probably won't see it, but if I was going to see Def Leppard, I'd love to see them play that whole Hysteria album, you know, and a bunch of other bands are doing that. Um, so I thought it'd be cool to do Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd, sort of as if you were seeing it, not in the stadium at the peak of their, you know, fame or whatever. But if you were seeing uh, musicians do that in the small bar tavern after the show where you can, you know, get right up next to them and see what they're doing and talk to them afterwards, Mm -hmm. tried to catch a little bit of that kind of a vibe and it went well. And then I did uh, a solo concert where I did uh, Nirvana's Nevermind with um, acoustic guitar and piano and, kind of uh, broke down some of the hard rock stuff into mm. the uh, got into the lyrics a lot of that album, which I really love. Uh, the next one that I'm thinking it might be uh, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots by the Flaming Lips, or I might do um, oh, what was that? Other one? I had another really uh, passionate case made to me. <laughs> People have started to come up to me and just say like, <laughs> You know, my favorite album is uh, the Lemonheads, such and such, and and they'll just like try to convince me and right. sell me on it, and I'll just be like, ah, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know like one of those songs. Right. <laughs> so you want me to learn the whole album for you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, the ones that I've done are ones that I just I, I already kind of know in and out. Dark Side of the Moon is like the Talking Heads. It's like I've never existed in a world hmm. where dark, dark Side of the Moon was not a reality. Yeah. You know? So, oh, um, Abbey Road by the Beatles was the other one I was thinking about maybe doing. Yes. Yeah. I'm a fan. <laughs> there is nothing like walking into a music venue and hearing a song that you know that you've attached some sort of 
you know, formative memories too that kind of takes you back. And I mean, I love new music and experiencing new work, but there's something about hearing, as you say, you know, something that's almost in your your DNA, you know, that's that's so um, sentimental is not quite quite the right word, but just has a, a richness of memory attached to it. And when you and I were we're talking about this Talking Heads concert and doing the album. You said that playing this album allows people to feel things they've felt before, but in a new moment. So Mm, it's, you know, when I was 20 and I listened to the same songs over and over and over again, and I have really strong emotions attached to them and memories, when I hear that song as a 40-year-old, it's this interesting layered effect, right? Because I'm Mm -hmm. simultaneously 20 and 40 at the same time, but you kind of go back to that music and you you hear things that you didn't hear before and the lyrics mean something else because you've had 20 Mm -hmm. years of experience and all of that. And I I think people underestimate the power of the live experience of feeling that music Mm -hmm. years after they first heard it. And you talked about this in terms of the contribution you make as a musician. And I love framing it that way. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not only a gift to you to have this residency and to play this music for people and get paid because that's your job and you deserve all of that. But it's a gift to the people who are listening to have this kind of layered experience and get to Absolutely. move it and feel it. I definitely feel that. And I've felt really lucky uh, especially with the talking head stuff, I've had people come up to me that are maybe my age or older and saying that they feel 20 again and just doing the dances. There's a lot of dances that go <laughs> right. with that. You know, there's a lot of jogging. If you, if you remember the, the, the Stop Making Sense film. Um, and when people start jogging along to some of those songs, it feels really good and it feels... Like, it feels like it taps into childhood, you know, because, and I think that's important. I think that's part of, part of why I got to, to work on this, because I do remember seeing how crazy that band was when I was three or four years old and, and realizing like, that's cool. That's like a person's job (laughs) and they get to just be really funny and like wild and they're dancing in a way that seems like it's fun, you know, and it's like, as a kid, it made perfect sense. And when an adult who maybe has had injuries or whatever happened to them gets into that spot where they're just dancing or jogging in that particular case, it's like you get to remember uh, what it was like to see your favorite band as a kid. Or for some people, it's like seeing the Beatles on TV when they were, you know, kids, that was, that was, you know, I, I was not born yet. So, but I've heard people describe like seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan when I was five or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just seems like so magical. And now it's like you play a Beatles song and you can give someone that same feeling that they had, like, you know, back in, you know, 1960, what was that? 63 or something. Mm-hmm. It is a gift to me to be able to sort of just be the, uh, the what's the word conduit the conduit thank you the conduit i'm the conduit 
so that's that's a huge gift and then seeing uh people just get into that like childhood state of enjoying music and enjoying being in that room together and just dancing that's that's the best I want to circle back to this residency at Mystery Brewing, primarily because I just want to say again how amazing it is that they've created that opportunity. I imagine having a guaranteed spot on the calendar at a venue with an audience is just so helpful as a mm-hmm. as an art maker. It's you don't have to think about all of those things, which yeah. takes so much of our brain space. It's like yeah. hustling for space, hustling for opportunity. And um, it just, it's an enormous amount of energy just to find a place to play. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they, um, yeah, they've been indispensable, I think, in, you know, our, our sort of circle of uh, music people and, and, and theater people that, that, that sing with us. Um, yeah. If we didn't have mystery to like do, um, our Rocky horror picture show that we do every year, um, or to do our big Christmas concert that we've done like four years in a row. Um, that would, that would mean that 20 or 30 some musicians were instead, you know, trying to all push past each other to get the, the Tuesday night slot at, you know, Casbah or whatever that closed down. Right. Um, and, and we have so few venues for music anyway. It's indispensable, absolutely, to have that residency at Mystery. And just to have Mystery open to bands. Not not everybody that plays there is a resident, but um, they really support everybody that plays there kind of in that same way. Mm-hmm. And really, it's, it's, it's a lot about Mystery, but it's also a lot about Hillsborough, too. Nash Street Tavern is on that same little strip, and they just had... Uh, a big street festival called the Nash Street Festival and just bands for the whole weekend in both venues. And is that same kind of support just from the whole community. Like people see that mystery is doing it and they're like, oh yeah, well we want to do that too. And there's so many writers and artists and, and cool people in Hillsboro that they get it. They get it. And there's, there's a new venue opening up there now too. And um, I'm kind of, talking it up because I, because my wife and I just moved to Hillsboro um, <laughs> from, from after living in really practically downtown Durham for, for five years, we, we got out into the country into a new uh, cabin mm. last year. So Hillsboro is kind of our new, kind of our new home. Durham yeah. is, it's, we're, we're dual residents. We're right on the line between Durham and Hillsboro. So <laughs> we love it. So you mentioned this fluidity around the people that you work with on stage that you have changing members and depending on the, depending on what you're playing. And these are people with different styles, different um, expertise. And this brings to mind part of a conversation that we had about the idea of a band changing and over the past couple of years. And especially in 2018, what are your thoughts about that? My thoughts. I, I would like to answer your question with a question. Okay. What is a band? <laughs> uh, for anybody listening, what is a band? Think for a moment. What is a band? Anyway. Um, so yeah, speaking of the Beatles and Talking Heads, and for most of the last part of the last century, this idea of a band was um, to be blunt, 
very much defined by a small group of people who were very similar in social uh, status, racial grouping, gender grouping. Um, they're, they're basically groups of white guys who got together and it was cool. You know, when, when the Beatles first came out, there was something very cool. And although I wasn't alive, I have studied this extensively. <laughs> and when the Beatles came out, there was an idea that these young people were kind of self-containing themselves. And and this band, it was a band, but it was also kind of a gang. Hmm. And they were taking on authority and they were changing uh, ideas about what was the norm. That's cool. That is super cool. In 2018, for a group of young white guys to get together, it's not as cool. <laughs> it's just not. Um, if I were to be here saying, like, I have this group and it's me and, and some white guys, like, it's boring to say that. It is. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, um, oh. So yeah, we started talking about this the other day on our pre-interview, uh, pre, pre and I wasn't quite sure what to say because I do sort of operate in this gray area where people have an idea that a band is people that are friends that get together and work on music and then play a show. But I think that we're at a time where it's important for artists to again, be challenging those norms. So I was trying to figure out how to actually voice this and this code of conduct thing um, sort of uh, revealed itself to me at the right moment. So could I maybe read sure, just absolutely. a little from this? Um, I had heard about this in the last month uh, that it was coming together. And then I, I found the actual document just a couple days ago uh, posted by my friend Darius Jones who is a musician that works uh, a lot in New York City. And from what I understand, this this is uh, a group called the We Have Voice Collective. Uh, basically, some musicians and artists that are primarily working in New York City. And they have come up with this code of conduct to promote safer workplaces in the performing arts. And I'm still... I'm still taking it all in, but my intention is to implement this code of conduct into all of my musical endeavors. Hmm. That anything that I'm in charge of, there are several things in this code of conduct that I want to make clear are expected of the group that is with me. Things like zero tolerance for harassment of any kind, including sexual harassment and bullying. Uh, creating a safer space for people of various identities, including gender identity, race, age, ability, ethnicity, culture, immigration status, sexual orientation, and identity, class position, economic background, religious belief, and affiliation. There's lot, a lot more to it, but that is the headline mm -hmm. that um, – we are artists, we're independent artists, and we are scattered all over the country and the world. Nobody is in charge of us. We are, in, we are independent humans that are choosing to be artists. So nobody is 
able to, to say that we can't do that. Mm. What this says is that just as humans, we need to create spaces to work on our art where it doesn't hurt anybody, especially the people that are working on it with us. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in what kind of challenges will come up because of this, but I feel very strongly that this is something that I can do mm-hmm. and that um, I intend to do. So I'm happy to be talking about this here because I think anybody that I work with probably won't be surprised by that, but I do want to broadcast this because mm-hmm. it feels important that um, I am working on this. Mm-hmm. So when talking about what it means to to be a band, I think there's an assumption that it's a, a group of people who are committed to one another mm-hmm. and have a deeper relationship. And I think some people might think this code of conduct is unnecessary because mm-hmm. if you are coming together and you have this relationship and you have this commitment to another to one another those things don't even need to be said mm-hmm. i don't necessarily agree with that mm-hmm. but what might your response be like why do you think this is important to make explicit in the room mm-hmm. i think that not everybody um does know I think that, well, I had a teacher, I had a music teacher tell me one time that in any group of people, especially in an artistic group, there is 80% of the group that actually doesn't care about the end product, whether it's good or bad. They are there because they like being there and they like being with the people mm-hmm. that are there. Um, there is 10% of the group usually that wants the end product to be good. And there's usually 10% of any group that wants the end product to be bad. Really? Unbelievable, right? But And those people don't usually know that they're in that group. Right. They usually think that they're in the 80% group in the middle, and they think, oh, I'm here because my friend is here, I'm here because um, I'm impressing somebody by being here. I'm here because I'm going to be able to tell the story of me being here later and uh, dine out on it, you know. And and those people are actually hurting the group. They are not working towards a good end product. And, um, you know, most people are, are in that group sometimes. Right. Right. We're, we're not, it's not like we're static. It's not like we're always in the good 10% or the bad or the middle 80. We wake up on a bad day and we just say, oh, I hate being here. I want everybody else to suffer the way that I am. So I'm going to, I'm not going to hit a wrong note intentionally, but I'm going to lower my amount of caring. And so that when I do hit a wrong note, I'm not going to care. Hmm. And that's just going to be my private little thing, but it's actually not private. And then the next day you might wake up and, and say, Oh, I would, I was stupid. Now I'm, I'm, I realized that I'm there for a good reason and I want to make art and I want the end product to be good. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my stuff together and, and 
be different. So we need this code of conduct for for ourselves when we're not being our best selves, when we're resting on our laurels, when we are repeating uh, a pattern that has worked in the past, or sometimes if we're confused and we don't know what the appropriate next step of the work is, and we might just try something just, oh, I just thought of this. Let's try it. Um, that can be bullying, yeah. you know, especially for a teacher that is uh, in a position where students are trusting them. The, the teacher and the students both need to have the same language around what's okay and what's not okay. And especially when you're talking about the arts, where you're talking about people's passions, and you might have this teacher who gets this great idea in the moment and says, I just had it. I just saw the vision of how this could be perfect. Okay. Now you, you have to do something that makes you uncomfortable for this to happen. Okay. And then that student or that person who is less experienced or whatever, um, thinks, okay, I don't know. I'm just here because my friend is here. Mm -hmm. I'm just here because I want a good story later. I'm here because I don't want to be bored. I don't want to be by myself. So I'm going to do something that makes me uncomfortable. And maybe it does create a, a better end product. Um, but I have seen some situations over the last few years or so where I, I don't think that everybody is on the same page with that stuff all the time. And just because you have an idea of what somebody else could do in an artistic context doesn't mean that that other person has to try your idea. It doesn't mean that they have to like your idea. Yeah, sometimes I have a really good idea and I'll say, oh, I just thought of this. Let's go, let's go into the um, outer reaches of the solar system and do an experimental jazz jam for <laughs> 15 minutes. Like, that would be cool, right? And not everybody would think that would be cool. So they might say, uh, no. <laughs> right. And so I have to, um, I have to say the idea better. Mm. If I'm the person who's bringing the idea to the group and it's something that someone else is doing, I actually have to be a little bit more specific about that. If I'm talking to a drummer, I have to say, can you please play 16th notes? Mm. Can you play the snare drum on beats two and four? Or if I do want to get crazy, like, can you play the snare drum on the and of two or something specific, you know, not something that's, Hey, can you can you try to uh, recreate this feeling that I had when I was listening to this song when I was young? No, mm. no, that's that's asking the person to leave their own safe space and come into your safe space. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love the idea of putting language around these things and making them explicit because I think that in situations where we're creating art, sometimes the product can be used as an excuse, as you mentioned, for yeah. unsafe practices. And no one ever said that you can't have good products and have a good process that feels yeah. safe. I mean, I think we can still get to that thing that is qualitatively, at least, good art. Yeah. But we can do it in a way that makes everyone feel safe and secure. And I think... You know, being explicit about these types of things holds 
all of us accountable, not just the other people in the room, but the but like you and me and people who are bringing these things because I've let things slide that I kind of wish I didn't let slide, but I didn't mm-hmm. have language around it. I couldn't point to something and say like, look, we all agreed that we wouldn't treat each other this way. And now you've all agreed that you're not yeah. going to treat each other this way. And so in a way, this is the umbrella over the band, right? Yeah. It's it's yeah. sort of the, one of the containers, one of the many containers for creating a group is an agreement like, hey, this is how we make this work. Yeah. Everybody cool with that? All right, let's make work. And yeah. I, I really, I yeah. really like that. So yeah, so so for me that that has meant in in the last little bit just kind of trying to um, foster diversity, which is one of the bullet points on here. Communicate better, um, and then there's one that I actually do need to do some work on, and I'm publicly declaring my intention to work on this, and I'm also asking for help on this for anybody who's listening that could help. Um, there is a step on here that says create mechanisms and or designate persons in your workplace to, to provide support when needed. Basically saying that um, if anybody has ever felt like I've been the bully, um, there needs to be a way for them to tell me that anonymously, where they don't feel like they have to then get into an argument with me about it, um, where they can just say, hey, I was your student last week. Um, I, you know, I was... Like it, it, and it's, it's an unknown to me. I, I, I don't, I'm not expecting to set up a hotline and, and have it be ringing. I, I'm, I'm setting up, I'm setting it up because I think that I would want to know if there was one, one person right. that would want to call that hotline, I would want to know what they would have to say and, uh, would definitely try to, try to take action if I knew that, that there was someone who had felt bullied by, me and 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 I do feel like when we when we work with artists at a high level sometimes we get into the zone where the artist is is just like a, a pitcher pitching a no hitter mm. and it's just here's an idea here's an idea here's an idea and I've been in the zone before you know and when you're there you get some good work done and if the people are around you are supporting you then you get even better work done, you know, but um, all it takes is one person to walk in and say, um, okay, I'll tell you a true story. I was in the zone one time. I had written a bunch of new songs and I was living in Austin, Texas. I got a couple of my friends to play some new songs. We weren't in a band together. We had been in another band that broke up and they, we were just friends. And I said, I have these new songs and I just want to figure out how to play them and stuff. So my drummer friend offered to host us. We went over there. My other friend was on the bass. And I think this other hanger-on was on the bongos or something. But we were just like having fun. I was showing them my new songs. And I felt like we were in the zone. And then um, one of the guy's girlfriends comes in and says, you guys, they just announced on the news that Osama bin Laden has been killed. And so like... Instantly, the zone was done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> shut down. You know, total shutdown of the artistic process. I think it's a good example of how when you're in the zone, anything, not even anything that extreme or that unusual, even just like the phone ringing sometimes is enough. Mm-hmm. So I think this code of conduct is important too because 
when I'm in my artistic zone, I don't want people taking me out of it for selfish reasons. Hmm. Um, I don't want people to stop my creative process because they are acting out as a bully, even if they've, it's because they've been bullied. Mm. We need to work on minimizing that kind of interaction so that the art can, can get done. Yeah. So you can make better work because it sort of clears it out. It's like sweeping yeah. the streets, right? It does. It make it does make better work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can say that all this work has been made in the past, you know, in those circumstances. And I think art is always kind of a struggle against the circumstances of the of the society that the artists are in so you know hopefully we'll 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 always have something to struggle against (laughs) but i feel like this is something that we can get past like we don't there's going to be some struggle i definitely could could foresee some situations where i'm trying to implement this and and people are sticking to older patterns Mm -hmm. You know, people want to um, just do the Beatles again <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. and just repeat that pattern and maybe it'll be successful again. But uh, I feel like a better a better path to success is uh, accepting some of these changing um, realities mm-hmm. and um, embracing the fact that we can now make art that has more diverse voices um, in it. You know, even for someone like me that's, kind of a solo, you know, artist, like it doesn't mean that I just do art alone. Like the talking heads thing is me and 12 really amazing artists that just all have something a little different, all have different memories of that same music, but we all um, sort of have something that's sparking our passion about it because we're doing it, you know? And, and if anybody wants to mess that up by, um, playing power dynamics or abusing power or anything like that, like I'm here to say, no, you may not. (laughs) Speaking of not doing work by yourself, you, I want to pivot a little bit. You have been doing a lot of work with the theater folk in this community as a composer and musician in the theater And I'm always really interested in talking with people who work across disciplines. A story that I will share just to give you context is that, um, I don't know, many years ago, I was the director of a chamber opera and I worked very closely with the composer and we quickly realized that we had a different set of vocabulary we were using to try and make this work together and a different way of even things like understanding what it meant for time to pass. So mm-hmm. the one example that I'll use here is that he had this theme that he wa- he wanted to develop in the chamber opera, and it was called the pine cone theme, and it was about a pine cone that was floating down the water, uh, down the river. And I kept saying to him, I love the pine cone theme, but there's nothing for my actors to do as you develop this pinecone theme for mm-hmm. two minutes. It's like an eternity on stage. Sure. And he said, but I need two minutes to develop this theme. And I was like, we don't have two minutes. This is live. Like people are not listening to this in their house where they can sort of integrate this into their imagination. There are real life people on yeah. stage. I've done it as much as I can do with them. You, we got to shorten this up. So I, I couldn't believe, I was stunned that we would be bumping up against this because we both 
you know, we're both artists and we both, you know, I, I, I do understand what music is and he understands what theater is, but, um, we had to really negotiate our way of making work together. Oh, and yeah. we both had to flex and bend to accommodate the other person's specialty. So given all of that, what has your experience been like working in the, in the theater? It's, it's been really interesting, really, uh, a, a lot of, a lot of good, a little bit of bad, um, not much middle ground. It's usually kind of an extreme. Um, but yeah, I've been kind of focusing a little bit on theater since, since moving here to North Carolina in 2011. Um, I was doing a lot more live music and some touring for that. After moving here, um, I got sort of a, a break, a sort of, a sort of big break when, uh, Alex Manis, asked me to um, supply some organ music for a show that he was doing. And it turned out to be The Best of Enemies. Mm. Did you see that yes, show? Yes, I did. It was like one of the best theater shows I think I've ever seen. Yeah. And I, I had I knew a little bit about the story when they were working on it. And uh, so if anybody remembers the the funeral scene, mm. that, was, that was my organ music in the background. And um, it was so cool to just have that tiny little just that one little detail in the show. And then of course they brought the show back for a second season. And then I started working uh, a lot with uh, a few people over at Duke university and did uh, one show over at man bites dog theater called pair 76, which was really fun. A little bit of improvisation in there. And then, uh, yeah, I started working with uh, Jay bird Oberski over at Duke and the, Probably the most fun I've had on a show in the last five years or so was uh, Jacques Brel is Alive and Well and Living in Paris, directed by Jay. And uh, it was really cool because I basically got to bring my band. We're talking about the definition of band. But uh, I had had three guys that I was playing music with um, a lot already. And uh, we found a way to just bring them into the show. And really developed our sound that we kind of already had, which was funky and sort of vintage. And so the Jacques Brel show ended up being like a disco setting, which uh, was just perfect for us. We got to um, do some some funkiness and some just fun dance music. That was that was great. And then um, what else? Rubber Peacock was a show that I was on. But uh, to be honest, I'm I'm probably going to be taking a little bit of a step back f- from theater stuff. I don't have anything in the immediate future, and uh, I'm thinking about um, starting to work on a new album uh, a little bit pretty soon. So sort of shifting back into kind of a traditional um, business model as far as uh, trying to just get get my uh, music out into the venues mm-hmm. like mystery and stuff. Um, I've I've done some of my original music there. Uh, my last album was JJ versus the Digital Whale, and so as part of the album series, we've done that entire album a couple times there. And I've also been working with a DJ hmm. recently for the first time, uh, which kind of came out of uh, Lake Placid, which was the last theater show that I did, which was the the all improvised show that Little Green Pig did. How does it work to work with a DJ? Um, I'm figuring it out. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> you let me know. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, well, for the Talking Heads show, I'm, I'm, I'm on drums this year. Uh, I've done the keyboards in, in the past. And for most of the theater stuff, I usually end up on keyboards 
or uh, doing some kind of computer programming, uh, electronica. But for the Talking Heads, this year I'm going back to drums, and that's going to be really cool because I'm going to be working really closely with the DJ. Uh, we have all of, all the beats for the songs programmed on a drum machine, and so he'll have all, all of that just at the push of a button. And then I'll also be playing drums with him on Sun Stuff, and then sometimes I'll just be playing the drums, and then sometimes he'll just be doing the beat on the turntables. So, uh, and then he's also got some sound effects and, and other stuff on top of that. It's just, it's fun. It's really an experiment. <laughs> I would like to talk about the, the new album that you're working on, which I know is in process, but I'd love to hear the inspiration for it and kind of where you are sure. in the making process. Okay. Yeah. I haven't really talked about it too much yet, except to my wife, but, um, the working title is a step ladder to the stars. And uh, this will be my first full-length album of original music since 2014. And it might come out in 2018. It could very well be 2019 when it actually comes out. But um, I've been working on it for a while. Some of the songs are older, going back to experiences that I had in childhood. Mm. One song in particular is about um, walking across a frozen pond with two of my friends as a child um and just uh embracing the danger of that <laughs> and then the overall theme of the album so can i talk about my last album for just a second yes i was gonna for ask, a little bit first yeah i was gonna ask that anyway um, so do that yeah. so my last album was jj versus the digital whale and that was my first full-blown concept album it is based on the story of jonah and the whale and my version is also based on 70s concept prog rock albums like Pink Floyd, Yes, Steely Dan, um, the really nerdy stuff, Rush, where they basically have um, the you know hidden chapters of Lord of the Rings developed into a 30-minute song cycle. Uh, I love stuff like that. I'm I'm a big nerd that way. So I'm having flashbacks to like all my ex boyfriends and my <laughs> husband. It's like <laughs> the profile like matches exactly. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. So that's like kind of its own archetype. <laughs> right. I, I wanted to sort of mash them up, and uh, it worked out really well. I, I worked with uh, a really great uh, uh, engineer named Scott Salter, who's um, probably a pretty well-known name if anybody reads the credits on albums from around here. Mm. He's worked with the, the Mountain Goats and uh, Super Chunk and a lot of other big names. So he helped me a lot. He he used to live next door to me. And so I, I worked out some some deals with him where he w I would just go over in the morning and play drums and he would help me. So yeah, that, that, was, that was my last album in 2014. And uh, this album will, is not... The new album is not going to be a concept album per se, but it is going to have a theme, which is really the the artistic process. A stepladder, the the song "A Stepladder to the Stars," um, is a metaphor for um, a step by step process to get to an artistic goal. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, I'm still working on the song "A Stepladder to the Stars." It needs some work, but some of the lyrics in there. Uh, are comparing techniques, like artistic techniques, to tools that you might just go out to the tool shed and pick up a wrench mm. or, you know, a stepladder or a hammer or whatever. 
uh, I sort of compare those to writing lyrics or learning to play the drums or um, using Pro Tools, <laughs> stuff like that. So I'm not going to premiere that one quite yet, but I do have a couple of other ones that um, that I have prepared that I would love to share for you, uh, share with you. But I'll talk about the rest of the concept a little bit more. It's it's the artistic process, but it's also the baggage that comes with it. So um, it's it's all the the cool things about learning new techniques and playing drums and having fun that way. But it's also uh, got songs that are about confronting the loneliness mm. that can very easily arise from being passionate about art and um, being, you know, isolated from, from people that don't understand your vision or people who um, maybe uh, have prejudged you or anything like that. Look, there's, there's lots of little, um, small, uh, you know, indignities that we suffer as artists. (laughs) So I took a lot of those and just kind of expanded on them. Um, hopefully it's not too dark, but there is uh, a lot about loneliness and, um, emptiness is, is, is a theme on, on a song or two, but, uh, also hopefulness, um, trying to balance those things where, uh, anybody, who's an artist that hears this album, I hope will recognize the, the, the negative emotions, but then also um, be able to balance it with that idea of the stepladder to the stars, the step-by-step process that even if you're feeling alone or isolated, you can, anybody can embark on a process of trying to learn an instrument or write or learn about theater or learn about art. So sort of uh, trying to mash all that uh, thematic material up into mm-hmm. some catchy lyrics that'll look good on bumper stickers and stuff. So <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. We are coming to the end of our time here, and I just want to make sure, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Uh, I would love to play a song or two. Yeah. And... um but yeah, nothing, nothing else too, too pressing. Okay. <laughs> if, um, if, if, if anybody's listening and just dying to find out more about me, they might go to my website, which, uh, I will mention, I have been the proud steward of llmusic.net nice. for many, many years, <laughs> and it has come to an end. Oh. I am no longer a .net. I am now... I have upgraded. I am now Lewis Landry Music.com. Woo! So that means that commerce, communication, that can be done on my website. Very good. Those things. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I will miss the .NET. It's a little bit of my nerdy past going away, but yeah, you know, 2018, got to. Commerce calls. Got to get the catchy website. Now. Right, right. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. For being here. I loved our conversation on the phone and I love our in-person conversation and I can't wait to see what happens next for you. This song is called Flashbulb and the lyrics were originally written by my friend Patrick Turner when we were in college and we were roommates together and uh, the uh, his his lyrics have resonated with me throughout the years and for the new album I have layered a new set of lyrics on top of his original lyrics and i don't think you can uh tell where his 
and in mind start. And the song uh, is just talking about the idea that we could potentially just be um, beings that just exist and any experiences that we have could just be the same experiences that have arisen out of our memories in exactly the same way that they have before. And we are potentially uh, only conscious of our current identities and not conscious of our um, true identities. <laughs> that was way, way, way too elaborate. <laughs> same place a light from a system above a cold leftover memory of transdimensional love maybe the memory is a chord that links to the tune of the past and the present is a light bulb that dims as soon as it's flashed maybe stars and wondered if we knew each other before biological scars maybe we knew who we were maybe we'll meet there again maybe we'll stay in one place or maybe we'll blow in the wind maybe we'll laugh in our sleep and time science will bend maybe we are all in a dream and I've known you before my friend all right I'm dying because I can't believe that you're playing a guitar in my home studio <laughs> <laughs> so this is from the new album this will be from the new album yeah oh cool preview I love it yeah you want to play another one sure all right Okay, I've got one more that's, uh, this is from the JJ versus the Digital Whale album. Beauty, a 
dying desperate heart the young man cried I yearn to know the things you know and freely I'll choose the blindness just to see your eyes just to see your eyes so much did you write the lyrics and the music oh i should say uh i wrote the music and the lyrics are co-written by my wife shay and myself artist soapbox is a listener supported podcast i invite you to support the podcast via patreon.com slash artist soapbox see our website artistsoapbox.org for show notes and more information Thanks so much, and we're out.